Now we come to President's Prime Minister, Catherine Fletcher. To the number one, Mr Speaker. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I, can I begin by echoing and supporting very much your fine tribute to Ian Davis and to thank him for all his service to this House and uh, wish him all the very best in his retirement. Uh, Mr Speaker, I know members from across this House will want to congratulate Gareth Southgate and his team on their 2-0 win against Germany at Wembley last night, the first time the men's team have beaten Germany in 55 years in a knockout game. We wish them all the best for their match against Ukraine on Saturday and we'll, we'll all be hoping uh, against hope that this time, finally, uh, football is coming home. Yeah. Mr Speaker, this morning I had meetings with ministerial colleagues and others. In addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further such, such meetings later today. Catherine Fletch. Mr Speaker, after yesterday's game, many of our German friends are heading home. But does my right honourable friend agree that, as the song goes, if they want to stay here drinking all our beer, then they need to join the 5.6 million people who have already successfully applied for the EUSS settlement scheme uh, forthwith before today's deadline? Uh, yes, Mr Speaker, I, th I thank my honourable friend and she is absolutely right. I am thrilled that an astonishing 5.6 million uh, EU nationals have already applied for this uh, wonderful scheme and I encourage anybody who is still eligible to submit their applications today. We don't come to the Leader of the Opposition, Keir Starmer. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I join your um, comments and sentiments about Ian Davis and wish him the very best um, from all of us in this House? Can I also congratulate the England team um, for yesterday's performance. Having been at Wembley for the Euro 96 semi-final and experienced first-hand the agony of that defeat, yesterday's result was truly um, incredible. Uh, and I know the whole house will wish the team the very best of luck on Saturday. The whole house uh, will wish them the best of luck on Saturday, I'm sure. Mr Speaker, why didn't the Prime Minister sack the former Health Secretary on Friday morning? Yes. Uh, Mr Speaker, uh, we had a. I read the story in common with uh, you and uh, everybody else on on Friday, and we had a new health secretary in place by Saturday, uh, Mr. Speaker. Which I think, given that we given that we have a pandemic, I think uh, to move from one health secretary to the next uh, with that uh, speed uh, was was fast, Mr. Speaker. But it wasn't as fast as the vaccine rollout, uh, Mr. Speaker. Uh, which is which is now uh, going so fast that we've done in this week half of the under 30s, half of the under 30s, Mr. Speaker, have now had their first jab, and that is speed. Keir Starmer. Mr. Speaker, what a ridiculous answer. The, pri the Prime Minister must have been the only person in the country who looked at that photo on Friday morning and thought that the Health Secretary shouldn't be sacked immediately. <laughs> on Friday, the Prime Minister's spokesperson said. Quote, the Prime Minister considers the matter closed. <laughs> minister after minister were then sent out to defend the indefensible. It was brief that the Prime Minister was quite happy for the Health Secretary to stay in his post. So can the Prime Minister clarify, now he's got the chance, did he sack the Health Secretary or at any point ask him to resign? Yes or no? Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, the, 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 the Honourable Gentleman will notice that the, 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 the Health Secretary has changed uh, in the last five days, he, he complains about he complains about the speed uh, with which that happened. The, uh, this government moved to positively lightning speed by comparison to the right honourable gentleman opposite, who spent three days trying and failing uh, to, to sack his deputy leader. Uh, 
Mr Speaker, who he then who he then promoted, who he then promoted, Mr Speaker, he fires and rehires. Mr Speaker, the, the Deputy Leader is sitting be, beside me. The former, the former Health Secretary, the former Health Secretary has done a runner. On, Mr Speaker, on Friday the Prime Minister said the case was closed. Then on Monday he tried to take the credit for the Health Secretary's resigning. In a minute he'll be telling us he scored the winner last night. But let me press the Prime Minister a bit more on this. The person the Health Secretary was in a relationship with was his non-executive director. Let me remind the House, according to the Government's own guidance, one of the roles of a non-executive director is to challenge the Secretary of State and the Department, to challenge them, and they receive taxpayers' money for doing so. So from the offset, it was blindingly obvious that there was a conflict of interest here and a whole host of unanswered questions. Why on earth did the Prime Minister judge that this matter was closed on Friday morning? Mr Speaker, I, I hesitate to, to accuse the right honourable gentleman of repeating his question. I observe that the non-executive director in question is also uh, no longer uh, with the department. And what the, what the continuity, Mr Speaker, is that that department is getting on with the fastest vaccine rollout of any, uh, of, of any European country. And I'm, actually, I'm proud to tell uh, this House that uh, this week, what, I'll tell you what's happened just in the last few days, uh, this country has actually overtaken Israel in the proportion of people we have vaccinated, Mr Speaker. And I think he might pay tribute to the Health Department for that achievement. Yes, Starmer. So, Mr Speaker, let me get this right. The Prime Minister was happy to keep a health secretary in place during the pandemic, who he not only thought was absolutely hopeless, but he also knew had broken the rules and was in a relationship with somebody he was employing at taxpayers' expense. It doesn't sound like case closed to me. And I know the Prime Minister is keen to sweep this under the carpet. But let me tell the Prime Minister why this matters. Millions of people made huge and very difficult sacrifices to follow the rules that his Health Secretary had introduced. Prime Minister, take the case of Ollie Beebe. I'm sorry, you might want to listen. Ollie died of leukaemia on the 5th of May the day before the photo of the former health secretary was taken. Ollie died, like so many other people in this pandemic, with his family and friends unable to spend time with him. When he was in hospital, he begged to see his family. But following the rules, only one member of his family was allowed to see him. His mum said, I'm livid. We did everything we were told to do and the man who made the rules didn't. How can that be right? So I asked the Prime Minister again, how could he possibly think this matter was closed on Friday morning? Mr Speaker, we all share the grief and the pain of Ollie and his family and millions of people up and down the country who have endured the privations uh, that this country has been through in order to get the coronavirus pandemic under control. And that is why uh, we had a change of health secretary the day after the story appeared, uh, Mr Speaker. And that is why, actually, what we are doing as a government, instead of focusing on stuff going on within the Westminster bubble, we are focusing on rolling out that vaccine uh, those vaccines at a rate that will make sure that 
people like Ollie and his family do not have to suffer in the future. And I'm proud to say, as a result of the efforts, as a result of the efforts made by the NHS, by the Department of Health, uh, by July the 19th, we will have vaccinated everybody. Every adult over 18 will have received one jab, and everybody over 40 will have received two jabs, Mr. Speaker. That is the priority of this government, and quite right too. Kirstama. Mr. Speaker, I can hardly think that the Prime Minister thinks it's appropriate, in response to a question about Ollie, to suggest that this is, in his words, the Westminster bubble. The Westminster bubble, in answer to that question, Prime Minister? Before Prime Minister's questions this morning, I spoke to Ollie's mum about the awful circumstances that she and her family have been through. She told me, Prime Minister, that every day she watched the press conferences, every day they were on, and she hung on to every word that government minister said so that she would know what her family could and couldn't do. And then they followed the rules. This is not the Westminster bubble. She told me that for her and her family, this case isn't closed. And she speaks for millions of people. Ask the Prime Minister to withdraw that when he gets up. Withdraw that when he gets up. It is a, it's a wrong response to Ollie's case. I can't help concluding that the Prime Minister didn't ask relevant questions on Friday morning, either because he didn't want to know the answers, or because he knows full well there's more to come out. Yes. Yes. Well, then, he says nonsense. So I asked the Prime Minister, in response to his muttered nonsense, when he declared the case closed on Friday morning, had he asked the Health Secretary if he'd broken any other rules? Yes or no? Mr Speaker, let me be absolutely clear with the right hand uh, and I think the whole House the whole country can see that we have a new Health Secretary in place and have had one since the day after the stories appeared and that was entirely right and that, it was, and that, was, the, that was the right response to the, to the situation and he is, of course he's right in what he says about the, the sacrifice made by, by families up and down the land but the best response in my view to their grief and, and their pain and the sufferings that they have endured, is to, uh, which, is, which is, is to get on uh, with a new health secretary, which is what we have, and to, with all the energy and application uh, that we have, to roll out those vaccines and allow the people of this country to work forwards towards Freedom Day, which I devoutly hope will come on July the 19th. And never let it be forgotten, Mr Speaker, that if we'd followed the advice of the Right Honourable Gentleman, that would not be possible, because it was under his proposals that we would have stayed in the European Medicines Agency and been unable, unable to deliver the vaccine rollout at all. Yes, Mr Speaker, I really think that having failed to sack the former Health Secretary, he really is trying to take credit now for the fact that we've got a new Health Secretary. So, Mr Speaker, Mr Speaker, well, it wouldn't, wouldn't be there if the Prime Minister had his way. The matter was closed. So, Mr Speaker, it's no questions asked by the Prime Minister on Friday and no questions answered today. There's a pattern here. When Dominic Cummings broke the rules by driving to Barnard Castle, the Prime Minister backed him. When the, when the Housing Secretary unlawfully approved a billion-pound property deal for a Tory donor, the Prime Minister backed him. When the Home Secretary broke the ministerial code, the Prime Minister backed her. And when the Health Secretary broke Covid rules, the Prime Minister tried and wanted to back him too. Every time it's the same old story. Isn't it the case, Mr Speaker, that while the British people are doing everything asked of them, 
is one rule for them and another rule for everybody else. Mr Speaker, this there was a new health secretary the following day. Mr Speaker, the whole country, the whole country can see that, and we are getting on. We are getting on uh, with our agenda of vaccinating the population of this country through the energy and application of, uh, of the new Secretary of State for Health and the Department of Health. And I thank them and I, and I congratulate them. And it's as a result of that, that vaccine rollout, Mr Speaker, which, as I say, uh, would, have been, which would have been impeded, had, uh, fatally impeded, had we followed the, part, the policies of the party opposite. Uh, that we're able uh, now to, we have a higher uh, wall of vaccination than virtually any other country in the world, and we are able to proceed with our cautious, but we hope irreversible, unlocking of the UK economy, uh, with the result, Mr Speaker, that growth is up to levels we haven't seen since last July. Jobs are up, and he, he, calls, it, he, calls, for us to, he calls for us to act faster in, in removing cabinet ministers, Mr Speaker. Uh, it took him three days, as I say, to give her three new jobs, three new jobs, shadow chancellor of the Duchy of Lancaster, a shadow secretary of state uh, for the future of work. We create jobs, Mr Speaker. He creates non-jobs. He dithers, we deliver. Jacob Young. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The steel industry is an asset of national strategic importance, not just my words, but the words of the Prime Minister. And I know he means it because when Grable went into administration, this government supported British Steel until a new buyer was found. British Steel still employ more than 800 people in Red Crew Cleveland and more than 3,000 people in Scunthorpe. So can I ask the Prime Minister, in light of the TRA's recommendations to the Trade Secretary, how will he ensure that steel remains a national strategic asset? Uh, my honourable friend is absolutely right to campaign for British Steel and we have an ambitious plan to uh, transform our country with better use of British Steel, as I, as I said to the House uh, a couple of weeks ago. There's a 7.6 million pipeline of steel uh, waiting to be uh, used over the, waiting to be uh, bought over the next decade. And as for the recommendations of the uh, Trade Remedies Authority, uh, the government is considering them and the Department for International Trade will update the House later today. Leader of the SNP, Ian Blackford. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. And can I join you in wishing uh, Ian Davis all the best for his retirement and thank him for the service that he has given to the Scots Guards in this House. He has truly been a friend and a sane voice to give guidance to those of us on these benches when we've needed it and I thank him very much for that. Can I congratulate England for their victory last night and of course wish them all the best in the tournament ahead. Of course they've done well, they've won most of their matches with the exception of the game against Scotland where of course they even failed to score a goal, no luck. But Mr Speaker, in July 2019 this Prime Minister gave an unequivocal guarantee to EU nationals living in the UK. The Prime Minister said they will have an absolute certainty for the right to live and remain. Less than two years later, hundreds of thousands of EU nationals have been left in limbo, including thousands of children. While the settlement scheme deadline falls today, we know there are hundreds of thousands of unprocessed cases. It is simply unacceptable, Mr Speaker, that their rights will be diminished by their failures of this government. Will the Prime Minister honour his word, give certainty, scrap the disastrous settled status deadline before we face another Tory windrush? Yeah. 
I, I thank the, the right honourable gentleman, and I, I'm just to repeat what I said to my honourable friend earlier. I think it's fantastic that 5.6 million people uh, have uh, applied. Uh, we are processing all the applications as fast as we as we possibly can, and clearly the most important thing is for anybody uh, who still hasn't applied to get their application in today. Jim Blackfoot. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. But the issue is there is a backlog of hundreds of thousands of cases because of delays on decisions. Mr Speaker, overnight, thousands of our friends and neighbours could become illegal immigrants. They are living in fears for their jobs, their families and their livelihoods, all because this Prime Minister would keep his word. We know all too well the experience of this government's Home Office. Don raids, vulnerable people deported, a hostile environment for the Windrush generation. Scotland's message to EU citizens is you're welcome here, we want you to stay. This is your home. But this UK government is causing EU citizens untold stress. One woman who has been in the UK for 44 years says that she feels suicidal. Another says she feels like a third-rate citizen. So, Mr Speaker, this is shameful. Will the government now do the right thing? Scrap the deadline and introduce automatically granted settled status or will the Prime Minister's legacy be the ridiculous removal of NHS staff, our local community workers, our teachers and many more who have made their homes here? Uh, uh, Mr Speaker, it's, it's obvious from the statistics I've already quoted that this is an outstanding success because we've had huge numbers of people applying. And, of course, if there are people still uh, who have to apply, and there, there's been several extensions of the deadline. It's five years now uh, since the Brexit uh, referendum. Uh, we've, ex we've funded uh, 72 organisations to help vulnerable uh, EU citizens to understand what their rights are to make uh, the applications. Uh, anybody applying within the deadline will, of course, have their, have their case dealt with, and I, I urge them to get on with it. Let's go to Henry Smith. Henry. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. I pay tribute to the government for the world-leading COVID-19 vaccination programme. And can I encourage my right and more friend and the government to press ahead with allowing those who are fully vaccinated greater international travel to save as many aviation and travel sector jobs as possible and help regrow our economy? I thank my honourable friend and I, I, I congratulate him on his long-standing campaign for the uh, justified campaign for the aviation sector and uh, that's why we've invested £7 billion already uh, to support aviation since the start of the, of the pandemic. But obviously what we hope is that the vaccine rollout programme, the double jabs uh, programme will enable people uh, to start flying and really give that uh, industry the prospect of a long-term sustainable recovery. Let's go to Caroline Lucas. Caroline. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Today, the Environmental Audit Committee, of which I'm a member, has published a report calling for transformational change in the government's approach to restoring nature. And it's not just about the 15% of UK species that are threatened with extinction, the cuckoos, the kittiwakes, the turtle doves, but the ebbing away of so much of our natural world. The Conservative chair of our committee says that government policies too often remain, and I quote, grandiose statements lacking teeth and devoid of effective delivery mechanisms. So I want to ask the Prime Minister something very specific. Will he look again at the government amendment to the Environment Bill that refers only to measures to further the objective of halting species decline rather than actually meeting that objective? A one-word change from furthering to meeting 
would make a world of difference by introducing the legally binding target to halt biodiversity loss by 2030 that his government has promised. So will he do it? Will he make that change? Yes or no? Mr. Mr. Speaker, this government is, is committed not just to halting, uh, but to reversing biodiversity loss, not just in this country, uh, but around the world. And uh, uh, she can see that from the conclusions of the, of the G7 summit and everything that the government does uh, to promote biodiversity across our country. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Over the last few years, we've seen the proliferation of hate speech, harmful content, anti-vaccine conspiracy theories on social media. In response, the government has published its world-leading draft online safety bill. Can the Prime Minister say when Parliament will be given the opportunity to start the scrutiny of that draft bill? Uh, the uh, bill has been published in uh, draft form and a pre-legislative scrutiny uh, will start as soon as a joint committee has been established. And I'm given to understand uh, from my right honourable friend, the Chief Whip, that uh, my, my right honourable friend may be in a position uh, to serve uh, with advantage in the scrutiny of that bill. Catherine McKenna. Thank you. We all know that great sport starts at the grassroots, whether that's football or swimming, and we all need help and encouragement to live healthier lives post-pandemic. Yet since last March, over 400 leisure and fitness facilities have permanently closed, including our much-loved swimming pool in West Denton, and many thousands more are under threat. So will the Prime Minister do two things about that today? Expand and extend the National Leisure Recovery Fund to uh, fund these much-needed facilities, yeah. and back Newcastle's bid for the Outer West Leisure Centre from the Leveling Up Fund. Everybody deserves a chance to live a healthier life and one day perhaps to play or swim for their country. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, th I thank the Honourable Lady because I think that uh, uh, it was a great question and she's absolutely right to, to champion grassroots sport and what it can do for, uh, for young people and for, and, and for the health of this country. Uh, I, I certainly hope that uh, the uh, the centre she, she champions will uh, be successful in, uh, in the levelling up fund, but obviously I can't uh, control that myself. She must uh, make that case herself, but uh, I'm wishing her every possible good fortune. The top post. Thank you, Mr Speaker. In Rochester, we are incredibly proud of our long-standing creative arts community and the contribution it makes to the Medway towns. So it has come as a huge blow that the Board of Directors at the University of Creative Arts have decided to close the Rochester campus after its 135-year history in the town, having inspired some of our most successful artists and designers, such as Dame Zandra Rhodes, Karen Millen and Tracy Emin. Does my right honourable friend agree that the university's plan to close the site at such a difficult time for the sector will be detrimental to our levelling up agenda locally, but also to the opportunities for so many working class kids in Medway for who this campus has always provided um, an instrumental route into further and higher education? Yeah. I, I thank my honourable friend. She's, she's right to a campaign for, uh, for higher education, particularly in, in her constituency, and I know that she's been engaged with university leaders on, on the ground in, uh, in Rochester, and I'm sure that they will have listened carefully to what she has to say. Thank you very much. On Friday I visited uh, David McCutcheon, the Chief Executive of Bill Express, which is a haulage firm in the Bayliston area of my constituency. Everybody in this house knows that there have been huge problems with uh, a shortage of HGV drivers in this country, and that's only been compounded further by Brexit. 
So I've got a simple question for the Prime Minister. Why can't we add HGV drivers to the UK shortage occupation list? Uh, Mr Speaker, I'll, I'll certainly look at uh, uh, what he's proposing, but I think the most uh, important thing is to, is to get our, our entire workforce uh, back at work. And there are currently uh, millions of people still on, uh, still on furlough, and, uh, and la- of course there are labour shortages at the moment, but we need to get people back into work, and that's why we've got to continue to roll out the vaccines in the way that we are. Let's go to Suguri Street. Uh, Gurry. Uh, thank you, Mr Speaker. My right honourable friend will be aware that the counties of Cornwall, Devon, Somerset and Dorset have come together to form the Great South West to generate regional growth and prosperity in much the same way as the Midland Engine and the Northern Powerhouse. It has the support of all local authorities, LEPs and the business community, but we've now been waiting for recognition from government for well over three years and frustration, Mr Speaker, is reaching fever pitch. Can my right honourable friend please look into this matter? and give us the green light so we can help the government achieve its objectives of sustainable growth, prosperity and jobs. Uh, Mr Speaker, I, I'm a, a passionate supporter of the, of the Greater South West and the, and the prospects that it, uh, it brings, but I understand also that uh, uh, the Right Honourable, my Honourable Friend, has, has met the Minister for Regional Growth and Local uh, Government to discuss these proposals and I look forward to hearing uh, their outcome. Let's go to Christina Rees. Christina. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Many of my constituents have been angered by the treatment of DVLA staff and the disgraceful harassment of PCS union rep Sarah Evans. With cases rising significantly in South Wales in the third wave of the pandemic, why does the Prime Minister feel it is so acceptable for the DVLA to have returned over 450 staff to their Swansea site. Contrary to government advice, as some of them can and have been working effectively and safely from home. Mr Speaker, as I understand it, uh, rates of infection uh, and uh, disease have been declining at the DVLA uh, site and uh, I I hope very much that uh, uh, everybody there can uh, return to work in the normal way as soon as possible. Tom Randall. Mr Speaker, the High Street's had a bit of a difficult time lately and uh, Deadlings have been no exception. But Deadling Borough Council's levelling up bid will help to kickstart High High Street regeneration, improve our Lord Town Centre and encourage healthy travel in Netherfield. So will my right honourable friend join me in thanking the council officers uh, at Deadling Borough Council, particularly Mike Hill and Gerald Davis who have put the bid together. And will he agree with me that this is a bid that can help to make Gedling an even better place to live, work and raise a family? Yeah. Uh, yes, Mr Speaker, and I, I thank Mike Hill and uh, Joelle Davis for their efforts and uh, that's exactly, and, and I thank them also for what they're doing to, uh, to uh, call upon the, the levelling up fund, uh, which will indeed invest in infrastructure uh, projects that, includes, uh, that improves uh, life in, across the country, but uh, in, in his constituency particularly. Let's go to Dr Philippa Whitford. Philippa. Thanks very much, Mr Speaker. Due to his failure to maintain strict border quarantine and delay in adding India to the red list, cases of the Delta variant are surging across the UK. As well as a marked regional variation, the biggest ongoing impact is on sectors such as hospitality, entertainment and aviation. So rather than starting to reduce financial support from tomorrow, 
Will the Prime Minister agree to extend full furlough and business support beyond September, particularly for those geographical areas and businesses which are most affected? No, Mr Speaker, because although the uh, Delta variant is, is indeed seeded and growing in uh, at least 74 countries around the world, uh, in, including this one, this is the only country or the, the country where the protection uh, by immunity against the Delta variant is the highest and, uh, and the strongest. And that's why we're going to continue uh, with our cautious but irreversible roadmap. And I, and I hope that it will uh, command her support. Let's go to Peter Gibson. Peter. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Can I thank my right honourable friend for all that he is doing to level up our country? A rising tide must float all ships. And to that end, will he commit to delivering the Northern Link Road for Darlington? And will he further commit to helping stop LNER's great train robbery of services from our station? And finally, does my right honourable friend agree with me that our levelling up agenda, investing in the North, should provide the people of Batley and Spen with great confidence as they go to the polls. Prime Minister. Yes, Mr Speaker, and uh, he tells you all you need to know about the modern uh, Labour Party, that when uh, they heard that there was going to be an economic campus in Darlington, they called it giving up, Mr Speaker. That's what, that's what the right honourable gentleman said, and he's totally right, uh, by the way, to support uh, Ryan Stevenson in his campaign uh, for Batley and Spen uh, tomorrow. Uh, I believe that Ryan will offer a strong local voice for change and progress in Batley and Spen. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr Speaker. I'm sure the Prime Minister is delighted that the High Court in Belfast this morning upheld the Government's view on the Northern Ireland uh, Protocol. And later today, we're also expecting a joint uh, EU-UK agreement in relation to the extension of the grace period around chilled meats. So does the Prime Minister accept that today may well be a watershed well, we can stop talking about the protocol in constitutional and identity terms, but rather the UK and EU jointly work through the genuine problems to find pragmatic solutions. And in doing so, can the Prime Minister also call for calm in Northern Ireland ahead of the marching season? Yes, Mr Speaker, and the best thing that the, uh, the EU can do is to make sure that we remove uh, all the problems that are currently uh, associated with the, their application of the protocol, uh, the ban on, uh, on chilled meats, the, the restriction on the circulation of cancer drugs, uh, the fact that 20% of all the customs checks carried out around the whole of the EU are carried out on, uh, in, in Northern Ireland, uh, and I hope that all that can be fixed uh, indeed, Mr Speaker, and then uh, we can move on. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Yesterday I was in Batley and Spen campaigning with our fantastic candidate, Ryan Stevenson. Yay. He is committed to delivering the police that we need on our streets. So from Brixham to Salkham, Batley, Batley and Spen, will the Prime Minister commit to supporting initiatives like the Councillor Advocate Scheme that was launched by my Police and Crime Commissioner, Alison Hernandez? Yes, I, I'm a, a big fan of Alison Hernandez, uh, Mr Speaker, and I, I think she's doing absolutely the the right thing and uh, to support her we are of course increasing our policing presence on the streets of uh, the city we're rolling up county lines drugs gangs about a third of them uh, that we've tackled uh, so far and uh, we've also instituted tougher penalties for serious uh, sexual and violent offenders mr speaker which were opposed on a three-line whip by the party opposite bell ribeiro abbey thank you mr speaker um, we're experiencing a knife crime epidemic in London, 
As much as 50 people have been killed by knife crime in our city, with a staggering 17 of these being young people and, and one of my own young constituents. I fear that we are going to see more and more people, young people in particular, needlessly lose their lives and with the summer approaching more and more violence on our streets. The Prime Minister is aware just how much youth services are important in the prevention of, of, of crime. So could he explain why his government has cut over 70% of youth services in the past decade? And will he pledge to do more for this city's young people, put his money where his mouth is and reverse these disastrous cuts? Minister. Uh, Mr. Speaker, we invested in youth services uh, and will continue to and will continue to continue to do so. But I think it's quite extraordinary uh, that uh, she continues to avoid the the, the Maccavity-like performance of the Mayor of London, uh, who totally who is totally failing to to grip this, uh, to reduce uh, serious crime uh, and to stop knife crime. Uh, there was a previous Mayor of London, uh, Mr. Speaker, who got the murder rate down by 50% uh, because we because we gripped it and we took responsibility in. City Hall. I think it's shocking uh, to see what Sadiq Khan uh, is doing on, on this issue, uh, but we will do everything we can to fill in the gap. Ian Paisley, final question. Uh, thank you, uh, Mr Speaker, and can I uh, refer to my registered interests and also associate all Northern Ireland members with the tribute you have made to Ian Davies uh, today. Prime Minister, today the Belfast High Court has actually found that the protocol does conflict with the Act of Union, though does not break the law that it has repealed aspects of the Act of Union, which is in direct contravention to the commitments that this government has actually made to the people of this kingdom. He will be, the Prime Minister will be aware that litigation is still ongoing in the High Court in England on a commercial case that could result in the loss of earnings uh, claim of hundreds of millions of pounds by British businesses trading in Northern Ireland. Under Section 8 of the Withdrawal Agreement, the Parliament here is sovereign. The judgment today confirms that Parliament is sovereign. Prime Minister, you have a solid majority on your benches. Have you the will to now finish this job, to reverse the mistakes of the Northern Ireland Protocol, to seize the moment and to defend the Union and to unilaterally fix once and for all and put Northern Ireland out of its commercial, social and political misery? Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I, I thank the Honourable Gentleman. We will, of course, study the, uh, the, the ruling of the Court uh, in detail, uh, but I can give him this general assurance, which he knows to be true, that nothing uh, will affect the position of Northern Ireland as part of the uh, United Kingdom, and we will make sure that we uphold that. I am now suspending the House for three minutes to enable the necessary arrangements to be made for the next business. Order.